Hi everyone. Welcome to the Black Dog Institute's eMental Health in Practice podcast for healthcare professionals, where we discuss topics relating to mental health and relevant e-mental health tools and programs that can assist practitioners in providing care. I'm Phoebe Holdenson Kimura, a GP with an interest in mental health. This podcast is a distillation of some of the important information from our webinar 52 on safety planning for suicide prevention. With me on the panel were guests Associate Professor Glenn Melvin, a clinical psychologist from Deakin University, Associate Professor Grant Blasky, a practicing GP and lead clinical advisor for Beyond Blue, and Mark Davis, a lived experience representative with lived experience of mental health issues, including suicidality. In this webinar, we discuss suicide safety planning and its evidence base, how to introduce the concept of safety planning, how to create a detailed and personally meaningful safety plan, and some strategies you might be able to employ if you don't have buy-in. We started off with asking Glenn about what a safety plan is and whether it's like a contract between a clinician and a patient to prevent a future suicide attempt. It's a little bit more than a contract. Um, it's certainly something that's developed collaboratively um, between a clinician or practitioner um, and a, uh, a client um, or patient. Um, but really, uh, if we think about it on a most simple level, um, a safety plan is a, a list of strategies and supports that uh, a person can use um, in the lead up, I guess, to a uh, um, a suicidal crisis or during um, the crisis. So that's sort of the, the main sort of um, point of it. And, and it um, supersedes um, um, a no suicide contract. These are sort of, I guess, fallen out of favour and as uh, really um, no suicide contracts sort of um, ask a, a client or a patient to promise that they're not going to do anything to hurt themselves, but they don't really tell people how they're going to manage or how they're going to cope in those deep dark moments and a safety plan really uh, tries to provide um, those um, supports and and strategies that, um, and have those documented sort of in, in one place um, so it can be done on pen and paper there's downloadable um, templates that many of you might be already familiar with and tonight we're going to be focused on apps and beyond now um, is one way a very accessible way to document um, a safety plan and for those who don't like apps, um, you can also make a safety plan on the Beyond Blue website and using a, a similar sort of framework um, to um, the app. And that can be then printed out um, in, in a PDF sort of form. Um, so it's brief. Um, it needs to be um, sort of in um, the client or patient's own words. And really the aim is to provide a, a sense of control. So um, when those tough times really kick in, the person's got something that can help them sort of ride it out and uh, there are things that they can do. So that sounds fantastic, Glenn, but, I mean, does it work? Does it work? Yeah. Well, fortunately, we've, we've got a, a very recent review, an Australian um, a, a study that was published just last year, looking at 26 um, studies. They sort of got together all the studies that looked at safety planning intervention and and um, uh, reviewed them and came up with some conclusions. Now, they, they noted that safety planning um, it, it was often used together with other interventions, and I guess that's... Um, 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 
um, not surprising. This is how a, a safety plans sort of used, often perhaps together with a treatment for depression or some other supports um, in place. And um, they got a pretty strong signal um, in this uh, paper to show that use of a safety plan um, was associated with improvements in suicidal thinking and behaviour and also people more likely to come along to appointments which is very uh, important we see when a number of people present in crisis and then um, and not able to connect and, and uh, um, um, access sort of supports and um, we also saw that um, some factors associated with suicide risk of depression and hopelessness um, declined um, through the use of safety plan and uh, reductions in hospitalization um, which is also a good thing. Lovely so you know we know that safety plans work um, but uh, what what I think um, you're going to talk to us about is that uh, having a stepwise safety plan is sort of um, a good way to approach things. Would you be able to talk us through um, what some of those, how those steps actually work in practice? Yeah, certainly, Phoebe. Um, so the first couple of um, steps, uh, what we might um, think of as preparatory steps, um, and these include um, recognising warning signs. So these are um, things that the individual will experience or um, signal that perhaps they're going into uh, a crisis. Um, and also cleansing the environment as well. well. We'll go through these steps in a bit more detail, but we'll just give an overview now. So the next um, um, steps, and this is where that hierarchy really starts to become apparent. So the next um, couple of steps, thinking about reasons to live and using coping strategies on one's own, are where the safety plan directs the individual to start um, and moving through um, these strategies that are self-directed on their own. And it's hierarchical in a sense that if those steps don't work, we move on. Um, and then the last three steps involve connecting with other people and, and services. And step five, um, contacting others for distraction, is really similar to step four, but involving people. And if that doesn't work, then um, we look at, well, who's on our inner circle? Who are the people really close to us um, who might know about our struggles with mental health? Um, these are the people on, on that step uh, of the plan. And... Um, if those supports don't help the individual, then we move into accessing professional um, support or accessing a crisis service. Yeah, I guess the, the feedback we've had around um, Beyond Now and using a structured approach is that it can really guide clinicians, practitioners through um, the process. I know um, we've got a lot on um, um, in, our, in our practices and and. Um, it can be sort of like, oh, here's something to help me guide so I don't miss something. Um, so I think that that can be one of the advantages of, of using that sort of structured um, approach. It's like a age of memory. So, Grant, say that we have um, somebody in the room with us who uh, has disclosed to us in that appointment uh, previous history of suicidal ideation or current suicidality, and we think, yeah, you know, that a suicide safety plan might be something that would uh, help them out or, you know, be a good idea to suggest. As a GP, do you have any tips for us as to, you know, how, how we can go about introducing that idea to patients, some of whom, for whom this may be a very new idea? 
Yeah, so of course, as you say, it's one of our most confronting consultations mm. and in general practice and in other uh, health professional practice, you know, you're under time pressure. And I think an important point to make, which um, uh, Glenn, I'm sure, will reiterate, is this is not a suicide assessment process. So that's a different discussion, an important one. So this is more about putting in place the, the safety planning. Um, as with all these things, it's, it's a good idea to have your spiel, your authentic sort of narrative that you can tell your patients and that makes sense to you. Um, I think it's a good idea if you're going to use the Beyond Now app to have downloaded it before and how to play with it. And as a GP, I get people to download it. It's not a very big app, so they can download it pretty quickly. And um, I'll say things like, um, you know, it's great that you've told me about all these suicidal issues. There's, there's a bunch of things we can put in place. Many people actually find having the app in their phone a really helpful way to have a safety plan. And I often throw in there that 50,000 people have downloaded in the last year or whatever the latest number is. And that actually usually acts to reduce stigma as well. People often go, really? I go, it's a, lots of people have these sort of, yeah, they're pretty common actually. Um, and we just yeah, want so to it make, normalizes it, yeah. Yeah, and, and we just need to make sure that you're safe while this sort of wave passes. So very happy for you to have that in your phone. Are you happy to work through it with me today? We can get we won't get it fully finished today, the plan, but you know, we can get it started and something that we can look at over the next few weeks. Grant and Glenn shared some legal considerations about safety planning. I'm not a lawyer. But as a, as, a, as a GP, a couple of things. Mm. I usually write in my medical records that we downloaded the safety plan and started working on that. I mean, you know, just to go back a step and to look at where it's coming from, it is a, a confronting consultation and it's important to remember in assessments that, you know, even the most brilliant clinician in the world doesn't have a crystal ball and things can yeah. go wrong and they do go wrong. Uh, I guess um, safety planning is is considered um, uh, widely now best practice. Um, so as Grant's saying, if we've um, 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 supported a patient or client um, using best practices approaches and we've documented that, and we've taken um, those necessary sort of steps to see that they're safe, um, I, I think that puts us in the best uh, uh, position. There are many different uh safety plans available um, on the web and um, through Apple Store and so on. Um, we are going to be focusing um, on, on how to use Beyond Now in this particular webinar, uh, but we'll present a few different options later on. Uh, Grant, can you, can you introduce us a little bit to Beyond Now? Um, yeah. Way, yeah. So um, when I started working at Beyond Blue about four years ago and I came across this app and I'm like, this is useful. I could use this in my practice, and I know Glenn and his colleagues have developed it. Um, and it's miles ahead of what I was doing, which was sort of little scraps paper and things. And it really gave me a structure. And I like the idea. I mean, we're all so addicted to our little phones now. I like the idea the patient's got it in their pocket. And if it's 2 o'clock in the morning, whenever it is, and they're feeling absolutely horrible, that as you'll hear from Glenn when he goes through it, there's a whole lot of great strategies and a sort of a hierarchy that they can go through. You know, in a way, when they're in a, a good state of mind, 
here's a great time for them to be making that that plan. It's got, as you'll hear, you know, emergency contact numbers and that sort of stuff further down the line. But there's some great easy things that people can do while that wave of suicidal thinking hopefully passes to keep them safe. And, and that really appeals to me as a clinician. Lovely. Thank you. So I'd encourage you all either during this webinar or at the end of the webinar to download one of these apps, whether it's Beyond Now or Your Crew or Reminder, download one and have a fiddle around on your phone. As Jan said in the chat box, you can actually just fill it out with your own information just out of, you know, it might help you at some point or it might just be an interesting exercise. But what we know with any sort of e-mental health intervention is that the more familiar we are with, with what it is and how it works, the better we can actually assist um, our patients to, um, to, to use it as well. We were introduced to two other apps available for suicide safety planning, Your Crew and Reminder Suicide Safety Plan app. There are two um, broad sort of types of uh, safety planning app. Um, there's uh, some apps that have uh, a collection of features, uh, um, sort of a, have a, a suite of things such as um, mood monitoring, sort of daily sort of prompts to track your mood. Um, your crew has a location device, your crew's um, for a, a routine um, sort of market. Um, so it has those features as well as a safety plan. So a variety of things, some of them have inspirational quotes and, and these sorts of things. So there's, there's apps that provide that sort of approach. And then there's others like Reminder, um, that, uh, which is similar to Beyond Now, um, which just very much focuses on those steps to safety plan. Um, and I think it's good to think about um, your client or your patient and think, well, which approach is going to suit them? Do you want something very streamlined um, and for them or might they be interested in tracking their sort of mood over time and uh, having that capacity to communicate with their parents through the app? Glenn shared with us some tips about how to use safety planning apps in our clinical practice. Yeah, well, I think the first and the most important one um, we've already sort of touched on, make sure you're familiar with the app, you know, the strengths and limitations there. And as Grant was saying, um, uh, encourage um, the app, um, download it in um, the uh, consultation. Um, and we might want to think also about discretion. Um, some people, you know, kids are watching YouTube videos on their phone. If they stumble upon this, um, what might that mean? So um, perhaps uh, uh, put the app sort of into a, a folder or you can download lockable folders for your phone if, if discretion is important. Um, the next sort of um, key sort of takeaway here is to review um, the safety plan at subsequent sort of appointments and ask you, well, what'd you like? Um, what'd you find helpful? Is there something we need to update in, in the plan? Or as Grant said, um, it's likely you won't have it all um, and complete perhaps at the uh, end of your first busy consultation, um, might need to do some more sort of work on it um, in those uh, um, incoming sort of weeks. I'd like to... Yeah, take this opportunity just to get to know Mark a little bit better. Um, Mark, could you share with us a little bit about your story? Yes, certainly. Uh, as you'd already know, I was a policeman. Eventually, I was invalided out of the force uh, with the usual suspects, which was suicidality, PTSD, bouts of depression and anxiety. And going from a very busy, very full-on, very responsible life to nothing. 
sitting at home was a disaster. And I hadn't actually, well, I remember it, I hadn't actually told anybody about the suicidality. It just wasn't one of those things that one said back in those days. But one day I was at home and uh, everybody was out. And I decided that uh, now was the time to take my life. And I got ready. And as I did, I heard in the next room the television going. And the television had a joke on it by a comedian that I'd heard a lot of times before. Each time I thought it was really funny. When I heard the joke, I chuckled. And that was an utter revelation. The way I had been feeling, my depression and the other ailments, had uh, narrowed down my entire mind. It had filled it with a few hopeless situations and problems, basically that I believed had come from myself. And because they'd come from myself, I didn't see any way at all that they could be made better. And that was all there was in the world. Then I chuckled. And that made me think, there's more than I know. I don't know everything. And so I stopped and I waited. And eventually my partner came home and I told her all about it. And that was the start of my recovery. Went on for a long time. Eventually, I joined Beyond Blue and then found for myself, just from other people's references, the Beyond Now app, which, quite frankly, I found rather daunting. There was lots of sections to fill in, and I found that, quite frankly, I couldn't fill most of them in myself. Things like reasons for living, I couldn't fill in at that time. I did find that when I presented my, this to my wife, she was able to make an enormous contribution. All the things that I'd forgotten that had given me a lift, distracted me, changed my mood, amused me, all of those had fled from my mind, but they, she was able to remind me and I was able to put them down as things that I did myself. And I tried to stage them so that uh, they matched my mood. If I was really black, it would be no use having cheerful music or a comedian to start off with. All that would do would be create a bigger barrier between myself and the rest of the world. I would be in isolation. So I'd start off with something like, well, it was uh, painted black by the stones. I wore that out. So I use Getting Bad Again by Ethan Jewell. And I gradually staged things through to things that were a bit lighter and a bit lighter and then comedians and so on. And uh, I found that uh, over time, I was able to populate the list reasonably well. I also found that uh, Beyond Now by itself, for me, is the crisis point. Mm -hmm. 
that's when it's used mostly and that i use a product called the wellness action plan which is not an app as far as i know but that lists all of your stages from really good to really bad thank you mark and thank you um for sharing uh so honestly uh that part of your story i think it really highlights a couple of uh issues um you know that that this stuff is really confronting. Um, it's confronting for us as clinicians, but it's also really confronting for somebody who's facing suicidality um, to even, you know, look at some of the questions in the app, let alone fill it out um, at times. And so I think that that, again, speaks to, uh, you know, uh, the fact that often it is going to be appropriate to do it over a period of time uh, and, and over a a number of sessions and also um, the importance of non-clinicians to have input into it, just as you've shared with your partner. Um, but I really love uh, that part of your story where you um, heard that comedian and it penetrated through uh, that very dark place that you were in. Mark's already sort of alluded to a lot of this actually about what makes a good safety plan. Glenn, do you have anything to add um, what you, what, you know, what you think about when you think about a good quality safety plan? Mm, yeah, certainly, Mark has uh, um, really um, encapsulated it here um, in that when we're thinking about high quality plans, and this is where um, I think clinicians and practitioners can really value add to, to this process because it can be hard, um, but to look at um, more detailed, more personalised, more specific um, entries um, and, you know, Mark, your example of, you know, down to the specific song um, you, you sort of started with there um, is, is a terrific example of that. Yes, I found that uh, when in deep distress, I haven't got any thinking capacity. And that's why it is really so important that everything is a no-brainer. Yep. That uh, mm. it's no use just saying, read a book. Mm. You have to be able to say, you want to read the next chapter where the, where the uh, marker is in one of the special books that one keeps to one side for precisely that, precisely that moment. Or one needs to be able to say it's not just a particular song, but it's a particular song by a particular singer. And as I mentioned before, it's dynamic. It, what used to work loses its potency and uh, one has to replace it with something else. And if something else comes up in life that suddenly strikes you, oh, that would be really good to go in it, then you pop it in and everything else moves down, moves down a peak. Let's think about um, the, the Beyond Now uh, app as an example of, of a good safety plan. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, the seven steps earlier on, Glenn gave in his introduction, so we're just going to go through each step one by one now. Um, so uh, the first step is about warning signs. Um, Glenn, tell us about that. Yeah, so this uh, step aims to... Um, document or, or capture uh, warning signs, which might be behaviours, thoughts, moods um, that occur leading up to the suicidal crisis. So you, um, in taking a history, you might have heard about some of these. Um, 
and your um, patient sort of told you about. And the idea here is if we document them um, and the next time the person sort of experiences them, they might be able to sort of shift the, the trajectory um, and towards something um, safer. Um, so it's um, with that sort of in mind, uh, as we've um, touched on a number of times, this work can be really confronting and, and um and so identifying those warning signs is, is certainly have had feedback that they can be a confronting um, component of safety planning. So it may not be the thing you want to do first within a safety plan. So here's some examples of uh, um, the types of things people might sort of put in there. They're going to be highly specific, as we've heard, um, but there might be trauma um, reminders, changes in sleep, um, withdrawal, um, or really strong um, self-focused emotions like shame and guilt. Um, and so there's just a, a range of the different things there. Um, you're now on it. You can, when adding something to um, the plan, you've obviously got the plus there, but there's a little suggestions on each step um, there as well. So the person can have a look and see, oh, maybe that might inspire them or help them think about what, um, what to put into the plan. So step two is about making the environment safe. What does that mean? Well, we have good evidence that um, if we can create distance between people um, and um, the means that they had in mind for a suicide attempt, we, we can do a lot of good in, in keeping people uh, um, safe. Um, so this step is really relevant for the people who've expressed a, a plan or perhaps they've made a, a prior attempt. And it's about putting that out there um, and then thinking about how they can be safely removed. Now, this is often perhaps will involve another person, particularly for those in, in rural areas um, where there's firearms and really need to enlist the help of another adult um, to secure firearms. Um, if there's no plan, this is uh, perhaps one um, that's uh, um, less relevant. I know that as a GP, some of my patients are reluctant to um, share with me the specific plan that they might have, even if they do have a specific plan, which I know not all do. Yep. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that, Glenn? Yeah, certainly. Um, this is a, a fairly well-described phenomenon um, that um, and in, in a way people can um, take a lot of comfort knowing that if things get really bad, I've got my way out. I've got my suicide plan there. Um, and um, there can be resistance to, to giving that up um, because it's serving a purpose for the individual. So I think if, if that's the case, um, um, that might be what's going on. Uh, then I think we shift and we don't want to take something away. We've got to provide <laughs> and we're going to provide supports around them. Um, we're going to provide um, perhaps ways that they can cope with strong emotions and really dark times um, before perhaps they're willing to sort of um, tell you about that plan or, or keep themselves very safe from, from that plan. Interesting. Thank you. So step three um, is around reasons to live. I know we've touched on that already. Um, Glenn, how does this play out? Yeah, so this is the first step um, uh, where um, the individual who's developed the plan would sort of jump in um, when um, they're perhaps um, notice perhaps some of the warning signs. 
So reasons to live um, uh, comes from the idea that um, uh, for many, many people, when they're feeling suicidal, there's ambivalence. There's a part of them that doesn't want to live um, and, and a part of them that does. And reasons for living is really trying to connect with that part of them that does want to live and remind them of things that are good, um, remind them things that um, give them um, you know, motivation um, to give them purpose um, in, in life. So it's really um, documenting um, um, those as a, a pick-me-up and you can add photos here and, and um, multimedia. And so we've looked at uh, 700 safety plans in a research study we did and um, this is sort of what came out. There's an enormous sort of variety from things perhaps we might see as very meaningful, significant people in our lives um, through to TV shows and, as you see, good coffee, uh, and these little things that make a day perhaps 2% better or 5% better. Um, they're on the list as well. Wanting uh, to wish to contribute or anticipated um, um, experiences in, in, in the future. Wayne, could, mm. Phoebe, I just wanted to ask here, um, as GP, often um, our tendency is to sort of give advice because it's what we do all day um, and, and sort of sitting back a bit's a bit harder. But, you know, chatting with Glenn and Mark, I think it's quite interesting because what, what we might think as GPs or psychologists or whoever else is out there of what might be someone's reasons to live might not be on point. Might not be. So it's really a good time, I guess, to listen, isn't it? That's right. Not make any assumptions. I think, Mark, what are your views on that? Well, the first one you have their family, friends, and uh, other significant people in your life. For some people, yes, for certain, that does really have a hold. However, it can backfire as well. In my own case, before I got right to the end, I had been very feeling very guilty about the fact that I hadn't been supporting my family, although it was my responsibility. And while I'm talking about it, I'll also mention that contracts with uh, clinicians have the same sort of effect. Eventually, However, I got to the stage where I managed to convince myself that I'd be doing my family a favour if I was no longer there, that they could then take up a new, happier life with a better person. And as such, it simply doesn't work. It took me a to find a reason to live, to, to plug into the beginning of Beyond Now. It took me a year, and I ended up with something completely different. What I ended up with was simply the thought that I'd been exactly in this situation before, and it had passed, and life became better afterwards. And that was it. That was my reason. So that's very, very nuanced, and it... And it works exactly right for you mark but it took a while for you to for for, for you to arrive at, at realizing that that's that was something that would really help you and i think that that really um illustrates just how we shouldn't make assumptions 
uh, or try and fill out this part for people because as Mark has said um, so eloquently, it is complex. If um, that person is still continuing to experience suicidality, um, that takes them to step four, which is um, things that they can do uh, by themselves. Glenn, can you tell us about that? Yeah, certainly. So um, these are um, strategies, techniques, activities, um, and there that really uh, distract, refocus, um, um, absorb sort of attention. And um, there's just uh, a few weeks ago, a, a study came out um, showing the importance of distraction. Um, now, we don't usually think of distraction as being a good solution um, um, uh, to, to, to problems. Um, but as uh, Grant was sort of referring to, we often see these suicidal sort of waves. Uh, people sort of, you know, it really gets intense and it sort of settles down. If we can help people with things that are going to um, absorb their attention, take their mind off of things, um, that can that can be very useful. I work with teenagers, so this is often time uh, gaming. It's a highly absorbing activity um, and, and can be helpful for some of them to um, help sort of manage. So we're looking here at um, self-directed things. And the aim of that is to encourage um, uh, the individual's sort of sense of autonomy and control, that there are things they can do um, to get on top of, of this situation. Let's have a little discussion about how to include other people within the safety plan. We can see that... Um, uh, really not everyone who's um, on a safety plan needs to be um, um, informed. Um, and the step number five really sort of encapsulates that um, where we have um, people who um, can play a role of um, helping to um, take our mind off things, to distract us, to um, do something kind of with us. But we may not um, want or need to go into the depths of what's going on um, for those people. And so I guess I would say not everyone needs to know um, it, it, those sort of uh, um, the depths of perhaps risk. Phoebe, if I could just jump in there. Yeah, sure. Um, so people might not be aware with the Beyond Now app that you can forward a copy of it to your GP or a friend or a family member who you think is going to be helpful. So, Glenn, in that case, I'm presuming you, you want to let them know if you're going to be sending them a plan. Is this more people that you just might connect with to sort of help yourself as a strategy? Yeah. Um, so step step five um, really is about um, uh, just people to connect with. To, it might have a, a, a laugh with and, um, um, or, you know, people can shift your mood up a bit or play a game of tennis with uh, um, and so forth. So it's really sort of very similar to step four, but with people, um, if you like. Um, and uh, really when we get to step six, the, these are in a circle. These are the people who would know. These are the people who um, we would encourage um, uh, practitioners, encourage their, their, their clients to um, you know, forward the plan um, to these people because um, it can be incredibly sort of powerful, it can be confronting thing. And as you're saying, we need to perhaps word people up that this plan is coming. Um, but um, so there's sort of um, perhaps two 
two levels or two roles um, people can play. And, and if there isn't anyone sort of close, well, perhaps we're more relying on um, professional services or um, in step five, we might want to encourage going places, going to a library, going to a cafe, getting out sort of in the world amongst people can be a sort of a distracting and absorbing kind of thing if, if that's safe and appropriate for the individual. If that confidant isn't available um, at that particular time or um, can't provide the support that that person needs, then I guess that that does take us to step seven, which is for that person to seek professional support. Um, Glenn, what does that look like? Yeah, well, in Beyond Now, we've got triple zero lifeline and suicide callback sort of uh, um, um, in um, and the app, you don't have to add those; they're already there, and they can be. These numbers can be called from within the phone, and then we can add, um, you know, the GP or um, um, practitioner, maybe local triage service if that's relevant, and then as well as that, we need to think about other. Um, um, services that uh, are catered to specific populations. If it's a young um, person, um, you might have um, Kids Helpline, um, Q Life, um, Open Arms, these type of services might want it to be um, added there. Another thing to note in, in Beyond Now, you might have noticed on every page on the top right there, there's a little red telephone. Um, that'll take you through to um, this list of emergency contacts at any point, wherever you are in the app that's that's always um there so we uh, i think um it's important to have a chat about um how these services might be um, accessed and a number of them have um, chat or, or sort of text sort of functions now, which are, I find a lot of my clients um, prefer that sort of means. Um, and so it's about getting the right mix um, and there and talking through what that looks like. Um, and I think that that, um, it, you know, this is actually a very important part um, of the safety plan, um, even though we'd hope that um, perhaps the previous steps uh, might be effective. Um, and I think that that um, relates to one of uh, Christine's questions in the chat box say, saying that if um, if you've done everything and, you know, gone through the safety plan but that person is very committed to ending their life, you know, within um, some sort of um, close time frame, uh, would a safety plan work in that context? And I think the answer to that was no. I mean, um, if we if we do our safety assessment and we think that this person is at immediate risk of um, of harm to themselves, then they absolutely need professional support. And that may look like calling an ambulance. It may look like them going to emergency yes. department. And that is entirely appropriate. That, that, that's exactly right, Phoebe. Um, safety plans are, are for people who you're happy to, to go home. Mm. Um, you're feeling from your assessment, you've judged that this person, to the best of your ability at that point in time, um, they're going to be safe to go home and, and manage. Um, and, but if someone's determined, like, like you've indicated, then it's, uh, it's not the time for safety. It's not appropriate. So, Grant, we've talked a little bit about how, you know, the safety plan is a living document and it might be something that we come back to and, uh, and fill out over, over, over a period of time. Uh, what are some tips that you have for us as a GP about, you know, that process and wrapping it up? So a couple of things. So the first thing to say is this planning app or any of the planning apps, they're just one piece of the puzzle. You know, we're not going to solve something really complex like suicidality with, a, with an app, I mm. learned, right? Mm. So mm. just mm. I think manage expectations. And some patients just won't be into it. 
you know, you've talked about this brilliant app and you think it's great and, and then you ask them next time, oh, no, I wasn't into it. And that's fine. But there will be some people that quite like it and then often I find if I prompt them when they come back, I go, oh, do you have a tinker with that? Oh, yeah, I actually did and they pull it out of their pocket and they go, I spoke with my wife and we added all these things on and I'm finding it quite useful in that regard. Um, so the other thing I think is making little prompts. So maybe in your, your for GPs anyway, the GP mental health plan, um, probably not a bad time to just have some little prompt in your template, which which encourages you to bring it up um, with them. And and so look, when it works best, the patients that really like it, we revisit it and we we tinker with it. Um, I'll ask them, are you using it? When would you use it? Have you used it? Um, those sort of things I think are really helpful. So we've really only been talking about suicide safety planning tonight. And obviously that's just one um, piece of the puzzle that is suicide prevention. Uh, and so I'm just going to talk very briefly about some other resources that are available uh, for us as clinicians uh, around uh, suicide prevention. You're probably all familiar with Lifeline, uh, which provides um, all Australians experiencing emotional distress with access to 24-hour crisis support um, and suicide prevention services. Um, you know, classically, that's a phone call, uh, but now there's other options. Uh, you can text via SMS or online chat um, on, on the computer. And as Glenn said, a lot of people actually prefer those methods. Um, the suicide callback service um, is similar in that it provides 24-7 um, telephone and online counselling to people affected by suicide. But this is for people not just experiencing suicidality, but anybody impacted by suicide. So that could be, you know, a carer, a clinician. So for example, we can all use the suicide callback service if we've been impacted in any way uh, by somebody um, experiencing suicidality. Um, yeah, anybody perhaps bereaved by suicide. Um, and they, again, also have online and video chat options, which is a great ad. Um, now, uh, another benefit to uh, the suicide callback service is that there is the option to keep some information on file so that if you're calling multiple times that you don't need to retell your story all over again, which some people find very useful. Um, there is a veterans suicide safety planning app that's called Operation Life Online, and that's quite similar in structure uh, to Beyond Now and the other apps. Uh, there's also a fantastic website called Conversations Matter, which is a practical online resource, um, basically supporting safe um, and effective community discussions about suicide. And the part that I really like about this website uh, is, is on language. So, you know, we know that we've, you know, in the past talked about committing suicide and we've talked about completing suicide. Uh, but, you know, these, these phrases are really stigmatising um, and aren't helpful at all. Um, and so this is a place that, um, yeah, can help you, um, yeah, become more comfortable with uh, different ways of talking about suicide that are helpful. Standby um, is a postvention program dedicated to assisting people and communities who are bereaved or impacted by suicide at any stage in their life. And You Are Not Alone is a website uh, for carers and those close to somebody experiencing suicidality. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast on safety planning for suicide prevention. A big thank you to Glenn, Grant and Mark for sharing your expertise and lived experience with us. A resource sheet containing all the resources and services that we discussed are available via the Black Dog Institute website 
under the eMental Health in Practice page. Thank you so much for listening today. Until next time, bye.